Baruch Shkaiku. So today's daf is daf Yud Beis, page twelve in the Hilgim of Seches Babakama, and we got a little bit down on the page yesterday. We're up to Lema Ketanai, which is I would mark it about a third of the way down on the page. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve lines from the top. All right, twelve lines from the top. Lema Ketanai. Now today's daf is we're not going to walk away specifically with anything concrete as far as halacha is concerned. But today's daf is going to force us to do is guide us in how to approach the situation at hand and really dissect it and really learn how to take a situation that gets put in front of us and tear it apart and unpeel it layer by layer so that we're not just thrown into a mush of information. Right, so we're going to take this apart methodically. Now, let's start with the with the basics. The basics are real estate. When I have land, that comes with a lien. So, if I borrow money from you, Yale, you're on the screen right next to me. So, if I borrow money from you and I don't pay you back, any land that I have has a natural lien on it, has a natural collateral waiting for you. If I don't give you the cash, you can go to court and you could say, "All right, listen, Tumblr's not giving me the money." So, uh, you know, I'm demanding land. That's the first thing you go to. That's real estate. This th- that comes prior to metaltolin, to movable objects. There's a lot of discrepancies, a lot of differences between something that is hard property, real property, and something that is movable property. Okay? Movable property is much easier to, to move from hand to hand, and therefore it's considered less of an, less of an ownership. Okay. The Gemara was discussing yesterday what is the status of an Evid? The status of an Evid Kanani. Is he considered Metaltalin because an Evid Kanani is movable? Or is, it con- is he considered Karka? Is he considered real estate because it's a stronger and more connected ownership than, than just Metaltalin? Okay, so in general, we have these two categories we have Metaltalin, movable property, Karka, real property. And now we got this thing in the middle, which is called Evid. And we want to know, how do we handle that? What do we do with this thing that's kind of like this gray area? So here we go. Let's say the dispute that we discussed yesterday when it comes to an Evid, whether it's considered movable or real property, is actually a dispute amongst the Tanoim, amongst the earlier sages. How so? So here we go. Listen to this case. If I sell to you an Evid, as well as property. Let's read through this case and then understand it. We'll dissect it. I'm selling you in one lump deal. Right? Sometimes you'll have ball teams. They'll sell one star player for two scrubs plus a second round pick plus a fifth round pick plus a ninth round option in 2029 or whatever they're doing. Right. So on one hand, you have something that's highly valuable to one team. The other hand, the other team is going to add in a bunch of things that have less value. Does this concept work when it comes to sales? And I'll explain what this means. When you pay for something, it does not give you ownership. Why not? I paid for it. Two reasons. Okay? Number one, were I to walk over to you, take your cell phone, which let's say costs $600, Grab your phone without your consent, plop down 600 bucks, and say, I'm not stealing. 
I paid you for it. The answer is you certainly are stealing. There's no question about it. Because you don't have the owner's consent. The owner's mind is still connected to it. Even if you pay for something, that doesn't make you own it. You also need the owner to remove his mind from the ownership and the willingness to give it over to you in order to take ownership. That is point number one. Why? Just because I give you money, there's not necessarily a sale. Point number two, why when you pay, it's not necessarily a sale. Even when there's full consent, if I give you money, it's not a done deal, and I'll tell you why. You, who's next to Yale on the screen, Gershon Simcha, okay, Rebart, are you're, you're selling me a silo full of grain. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give you $1,000 for a silo full of grain. I give you the $1,000. I never take the grain. Now, you hear that there's a tornado that's coming through town. There's a potential flood. There's a fire that burned, that, that's starting to burn. In your head, what is the first thing you're going to save? Your stuff or my stuff? Your stuff. Because you got to make sure that you're protected. That's what people naturally will do. Now, somebody's got beautiful character traits. Somebody's got beautiful meters. They're more concerned about somebody else than themselves. That's beautiful and, and fine. But there was a, a uh, call it a decree, a takana, a fixing, that was put into place to ensure that sellers did not take advantage of a buyer whereby if I were to pay you for it, but not actually take the item and it's already like I own it, you're not going to save it if a fire breaks out. You'll save your stuff first. Therefore, the sages say, you know what? Even if I paid you the money, it's not considered mine until I actually physically make some sort of acquisition on it. I pick it up. I pull it out of your property, whatever it is. But just because it's sitting in your property keeps it yours. How does How's that consumer protection? Because I give you $1,000 for your silo of grain and now a fire breaks out you're not going to be more concerned about your things than this. Because if it burns, you're the one who's going to take the loss. I've never taken ownership yet. All I did was give you the money. So there's two strong reasons why the sages say <clears throat> just the fact that there's money given over doesn't necessarily create a sale. A, you need the brain involved. You need absolute consent of the owner. And B, we need consumer protection. All right? So here's the deal. Let's say I'm purchasing something which is both real estate and movable property. Generally on movable property, you gotta make a move on it. You gotta lift it up, you gotta show ownership, you gotta do something like that. Land, you're not doing that, you're not lifting up land. So how do you show ownership of land? You plow the field, if let's say you're purchasing a field, you plant the field. If you bought a house, you moved into the house. There's certain things where the act that you have with the land is gonna give you actual ownership. <clears throat> Even though I didn't remove it from your property, I didn't make anything, so here's the question. What if I were buying from you an acre of land plus the two tractors that you own on it? So now here's a fascinating case because as far as the land is concerned, I don't need to make an act of acquisition. That's an impossibility. The land becomes mine as soon as I pay for it and I walk around the field or I do something. But generally, a tractor, if I were to buy it by itself, will only be mine when I start to drive it, when I make a move with it, when I take it off your property, let's say. But just when something is sitting there, I'm not going to take ownership. But what happens if I, if in one contract we write the land as well as the tractors? That's the question over here. Do we say in such a circumstance the tractors become owned 
with the payment of cash, the same way the real estate does, because it's all wrapped up into one deal? Or do we say no? Bottom line is, there was an enactment. Tractors are considered movable property. And just the fact that cash was handed over doesn't make it yours. And again, why is it important to know this? Because if something were to go wrong between my payment and my taking it, this makes a big difference as to who's who's uh, who's going to take the loss. Is it going to be the seller or the consumer? All right. So now let's get let's get into this inside. So bikar kois If he did the act on the land, he wants to acquire land with avodim. So if he made an acquisition of the land, he hasn't acquired avodim with it. But if he makes acquisition of land, you do acquire movable property. So again, if I if I make an acquisition on land, I don't acquire avodim. But if I make an acquisition of land, I do acquire movable property. Bottom line. What would happen if I buy a land with two tractors? As soon as I pay for the land, I own the tractors. I don't need to drive them. Okay. What happens to What if I make an active acquisition on the movable property? So I purchased a land with tractors, and then I started driving my tractor. Does that mean that I now took ownership of the land? Not necessarily so. Let's say you're purchasing avodim and movable property. Now here's the deal. Here's the issue. The problem is, there's another teaching. The Brisa elsewhere tells us something which seems to be the exact opposite, which is, if I make an acquisition on the Evet, I do acquire all the movable property with him. My So we have two sources, each one contradicting each other. So how are we going to figure this out? Says the Gemara, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's, what's happening here. There's two different approaches, which is, one approach is, one 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 uh, tana holds that's that an evid is going to be considered real property and therefore things other things could be acquired together with it the same way a tractor could be acquired with land i could acquire a tractor with my evid and the other one says is movable property which is and this going back to the beginning of how we started out today this is actually the same dispute between Rav Nachman and Ula from yesterday. So the Gemara here is bringing these two prices which seem to contradict and saying, listen, we have a dispute that we spent yesterday on. It seems that this was a pre-existing issue even in the prior generations. To which the Gemara says, no, not necessarily true. You can't connect the two uh, the, the two scenarios because Amar of Ika, Breder of Ami, Everybody agrees that servants are considered um, or avodim are considered uh, real property. And this that we said, you could acquire other things on it. That makes that's fine and dandy. That makes sense. The same way you could acquire upon land, you could acquire upon an evet. However, what about the price which says you cannot acquire movable objects with evet? Why not? He's considered a real property. Why can't I acquire movable property along with him? I'll tell you why, says the Gemara. Because even though it's considered real property, it's not the same as actual land. Let me, explain, let me articulate a little bit in today's, our American brains, to, to get what the Gemara is trying to do with this. What the Gemara is trying to do with this is like this. We started out with two categories. Real property and movable property now the Gemara says listen there's not only Democrats and Republicans sometimes even though there's two big parties in politics just using this as a parable okay an analogy we give an analogy to this 
somebody would generally vote Democratic, somebody would generally vote Republican. Even if you're a registered Democrat or a, or a registered Republican, does that mean that you agree with everything the Republican Party does? Does that mean you agree with everything the Democratic Party does? If you do, then you're a nut. Because that means you don't know how to think for yourself. Right? You have to learn how to think. Some ways, yeah, listen, every time you have two big parties and two systems in place, two different approaches, you might agree with the overall approach of one, but built in, there's nuances within each thing that says, hey, you know, I like what they're doing over here, but in this in this specific way, I'm not comfortable with it. And, and I wouldn't do it like that, right? There's the middle area where sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay? So it says the Gemara like this. You have movable property, you have real property, called Democrat Republican. You have these two different ways. And now you've got this event, you've got a scenario that's not clearly fitting into each one. Right? Not, 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 not clearly fitting into each one. You take a, a hard capitalist approach. A hard capitalist approach may include the lack of willingness to give charity. Let poor people fend for themselves. But we know that's not true. Right? We tithe. We give charity. We make sure that those who are, who are uh, you know, people who are in a pinch, even if they're not necessarily needy, but we're there for each other. In that way, you could say, listen, a capitalistic... Uh, Economic system is wonderful and beautiful, and that's what that's what's needed to work. But you could also realize there's, a, there's a, there could be a downside to it. There could be a downside that some people might end up losing out. So you want to put money back in there. You want to give charity, and you want to tithe, and you want to you want to take care. So there's always going to be situations that are in the middle that don't necessarily clearly fall under a specific parameter. Doesn't necessarily fall under a specific parameter, and that's what we're struggling through over here. Where is this evid fitting in? Where is he fitting in? In some ways, he's movable property. In some ways, he's real property. And let's let's understand how so. Let's let's remove another layer. We'll call it of this onion. Yeah. Let's let's understand the next layer of this, the tanat, because we learned in a mission. When you have movable property, it can be acquired with real estate. So again, in one contract, you have a land with the tractors that are on it. So. The tractors that are on it are acquired as soon as the land is acquired. You don't need to start making a unique uh, driving it around transaction. Because of Shtar B'chazaka. This could be acquired with money, with a document, with status. Amar Chizki, Damar Kroh. How do I know this? Damar Chizki, Damar Kroh. Pinalam Aviyah Matanis Rabbis, the Kasev Lezav. Their father, this is referring to the, uh, the king of Yehuda, Yehoshaphat. Their father gave them many gifts of gold and silver. Um, Sorry, I lost the place. Well, the McDonald's and delicacies in Mara along with the fortified cities of Yudas, you see that he gave real property, and then things that are movable property came along with it. There are those that say, I'm Ravika, Ravidi. Ravika says the name Ravidi. Dukuli Alma, Avdi Matatlan Dami. Really, everybody agrees that Avadam are going to be considered movable property. So if it's movable property, I get why you, you can't acquire other things with an Evan. You can never acquire movable property because of other movable property. You need to make an actual acquisition on each one. The other approach, though, which is that you do acquire, but I don't know love. You know what the case is? The case is where the other movable property was was like mamish, was literally on top of him. And therefore, since it's literally on top of him, so that's where we're going to say it's like one thing. And when you acquire the Ebed, you're going to acquire the other the other 
metalta and the other movable properties as well. The I didn't love my habit says tomorrow. Who cares? Let's say it's sitting on his stomach. Who cares? Sitting on his shoulders. Who cares? How's it going to help? Bottom line is he's still not real property. Chatzar malachasi. This is a this is a courtyard that's walking around town. And that doesn't acquire nothing. You can't call that real property. You have a person, let's say, who's standing still. If it doesn't move, yeah, uh, then it doesn't acquire. Then even when it's sitting, it doesn't acquire. If I can't acquire when I'm standing and moving around, I can't acquire even when I'm sitting. Says the is. Be kapois lalacha is this is only true that you could acquire movable property metalkul along with the eved when it is bound when it is tied up together with the eved. Vahatani we learned there by the hexik bekarka kana avadim that when you acquire karka you also acquire avadim you also acquire the eved along with him so you see that it is movable property. Hasam ba'indam b'seich there he was standing in middle of the field mam is the middle of the field and therefore you don't need the whole other situation of being tied up which seems to be in the other case you wouldn't make an acquisition on the evidence but that case is only going to be true that law will only be true when the evidence is not standing in the center or towards the middle of the field this is all going to be fine and dandy if you're going to consider an Ebed to be movable property, therefore, you can't acquire anything else on top of that. You need to literally be in the field to acquire, otherwise not. Why in the middle of the field? So here's an interesting halacha. Listen to this. If I sell you 10 fields... In ten different cities, Shmuel says that as soon as I make a physical acquisition on one field, the other nine are mine. It's considered like they're I acquired them with the acquisition of one. So again, just keep this simple. Me and uh, let's see, Aaron's the next one on the on the screen. Me and you are we're making a deal. You're selling me uh, ten fields. These ten fields are spread out, spread out across the the, the uh, incredible and beautiful United States of America. Right? Do I need to go and make a status acquisition on each land in order for me to own it, or is it enough that as soon as I make an acquisition on one property, the other nine go along with it, even before I actually did I, I did any action? So Shmuel says you don't need to do an action on the other nine. As long as we made an action on one field, it's considered they can be an action on all the fields. Which we have to understand what the logic behind that is. We'll see shortly. We'll see shortly why we don't consider it to be ten different things. Says but according to your reasoning, according to Pinna says about them is like is like a metal and is like movable property. Why do you gotta be standing in the middle of the field? What does that change? We now turn to the top of Abu Bay's. Kaimalon, uh, we have already established, that things, in order to be acquired together, do not need to be um, completely piled up on top of each other. So what are you going to tell me the case is? That things that are movable um, and, and can walk on their own, for example, in Nevin, 
is different from things that cannot go on their own. Okay, uh, like an object, a regular object. shiny I'll make a difference in karka that's naidi, karka that's not naidi, right? In other words, the eved is called real property, but even within real property, there's nuances. There's real property that could move and real property that doesn't move. So avodim, uh, which it's movable property, and uh, therefore it's not connected, and you should have to make an acquisition on either one. But in the case of Shmuel, where I sell you ten fields, so this is a fascinating logic. Listen to this logic. Shmuel says that all earth is connected. All earth is connected, and therefore, if you have rights to ten different farms, let's call it, ten different locations of real property, as soon as you make an acquisition on one, you've acquired all. Why? Because the truth is, they're all connected. There's just breaks. Other people own land in between. You could have a home, you could have a field, you could have, and it could span across half of the United States. But when you get to that other piece of land that you purchased, that is really physically connected to the first one, and hence, there, it's much easier for the uh, for the acquisition to happen. You can't say that same logic when it comes to uh, when it comes to an event. Okay, very good. Period. Two dots. End of that. Uh, end of that discussion. We now enter the enter the next line of the Mishnah, which says you're only obligated to pay when you damage an ox or when it damages an animal that belongs to a private individual as opposed to belonging to the Beis HaMikdash. So here we go. Me'ilohu delespohu. It is only, the only time you're not obligated is, what we're saying is, is when there's no me'ilu. Okay? It's not going to be a chi of me'ilu if he sins. Ha'mikache, ha'mikdash kachi. But let's say it was hektish, then I would be, I would be responsible for the damage that my uh, that my animal does. Now, Mantano, who's the opinion who says this? It's referring to the lower level of Kedusha, the lower level of holiness in the base of Mekdash. See, in the holy temple, when people would donate, there were certain things that were donated, it's called Kachi Kachim, the holy of holies, for example, an animal that's literally going to be brought as a sacrifice the fire, uh, the, the wood that's already up on the altar for the fire, things of that sort. Then there's other things that are what's called kachikalim. Kachikalim is, they're sanctified, but there's a, it, it's a lower level of sanctity. Okay, Regular standard donations. doesn't need to be used specifically for a carbon. It could be used to fix the toilet seat inside the building. It could be used for, for whatever it is. It's kachikalim. Okay? So where do we say Cesar Bechanan, where do we say this halacha of Mikdash Kachi, that's referring to Kachim Kalim. But by Kachi Kachim, we don't say that. The Tanya, and you'll commit a Me'ila, a transgression against Hashem, the Rabbi's Kachim Kalim, which includes Kachi Kalim, which is his money, basically. This is the opinion of Rabbi Haglili. Ask the Gemara, I don't understand that, that's not true, but but we got, we're going to challenge this. We learned in a mission. Hamaktish bechelkai, baby kachi kachim, baby kachi kalim, ina mekudeshes. Name it like Rabbi, Belai, Rabbi Yisaglili. Let's say I make. See, here's the rule. 
one of the ways that an acquisition of marriage is made, and somehow this has become worldwide, uh, where, where it, uh, you know, uh, the husband puts a ring on the on the wife's finger. So it's sourced in the Torah. Okay, it's sourced in the Torah. That says when a man takes a woman, he uses an expression of financial value, and it used to be money, and then it developed into a ring. Now, very often, right? I mean, certainly by by us when we get married according to halacha. So the groom looks at the bride. She sticks out her finger under the chuppah, and he says, Behold, you are married to me with this ring. When he gives her value, she gives over her hand in marriage. The reason why cash became a ring, the sages explain, is because the ring uh, is, a, is a circle. It's never ending. It's never ending. And that's the commitment of the relationship is that it's not going to end, which, by the way, which is also why at a, at a Jewish wedding under the chuppah, we say you're married to me with this, with this ring the same way according to the laws of Moses and the Jewish people. So the sages explain, why do you say this statement? Why are we bringing in Moses and the Jewish people? It's got to do with anything. So they say, if you look at the Torah, yeah, so we as a people put Moses through a lot. We gave him a tough time. Yeah, he's trying to be helpful. Right, and they, we gave him a tough time. It, it wasn't easy, as they say. The the Torah was either written, right? The Bible, the Torah was either written by God or an anti-Semite. Doesn't make the Jews look too good in there, yeah. But we stuck by each other through thick and thin. Right, and he, Moshe was our leader, and we were uh, we were the uh, the flock of God that he was that he was leading. So that's the commitment that a husband and wife make to each other. That we know right now, we don't want to think about it, but. The commitment to each other is that this is a circle, this is a ring, it's never ending, and through thick and thin, where we're, you know, the same way Moshe and Klal Yisrael were together, we're sticking together. That's how, that's how the sages explained the, the the reasoning behind the, a, a ring came into place. But be it as it may, the Gemara here is explaining that um, that yeah. That there's a difference between things that if, if somebody's going to sanctify or somebody's going to marry a woman, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. If I walk over to a woman with a ring and I say, I'm marrying you with this ring, and it's not even mine, is she married? No. She's not married. You have to marry her with something that it's your it's your value. You're giving her something. It's not somebody else's. This is mine. I'm giving you this ring. That's what creates the acquisition. Here's a fascinating case. What if somebody takes a ring, sanctifies it? He says, this ring belongs to the Holy Temple, let's say, right? In the times of the Temple. This belongs, it's not mine, it belongs to the Temple. And then he takes that ring. He's saying, belongs to God, yeah. And he marries a woman with it. Legally, according to Jewish law, according to halacha, is it considered a marriage? Or is it considered like it's God's ring, it's not your ring, it's somebody else's ring? An interesting question. Or do we say, listen, there's no other person withholding it from you. It was your decision to sanctify it. You know, it a, how do you view this? It's an interesting scenario. So the Mishnah says, Okay? If somebody, if something belongs, something sanctified, you can't marry a woman with it. It's not yours. It's not yours. Let's say this is not the opinion of Rabbi Yisak Lili. The opinion of Rabbi Yisak Lili, the things that are a lower level kachim would be a valid marriage. 
Answers the Gemara, no. Afilu Timur Beisi Aglili, Ki Amar Beisi Aglili, Mechayim. Where did Beisi Aglili say that it's not considered yours when you take part of uh, Kachim and marry a woman with it? That's only Mechayim. But it's still alive. You, you, you have a, a, a sacrifice that's been set aside, an animal that's been set aside as a sacrifice. And you, you want to give that value of the animal for marriage to a woman. You say, I'll give you the, you know, the sheep is worth 300 bucks. I'll give you the value of the sheep. So we say, no, it's nothing doing. But something is after shechita, so then he'll agree that it's okay. Why? What's the difference? Because when the Kayhanim get it, they're getting it from the Shulchan Gavaya, they're getting it from the Beis HaMikdash, which basically means as long as you can personally benefit, it doesn't make a difference who owns it. As long as you, it's a type of thing where even if you were to sanctify it, you would have rights to eat it. You would have rights to benefit from it. So that also has and that, that has value in and of itself. And and uh, the woman could be married with this value that you're giving over to her. Omechayamiyamar says Omar, is that really true? What we're stating about when it's uh, when it's mechayim, when it's alive. If you have a bachar, you have a firstborn. Of, a, of an animal So it's sold by the Kayan Before it got any sort of month Or any sort of blemish That's a prohibition You're not allowed to do that Or a Balmum B'Shachad It was Balmum And you shechted it You weren't allowed to do that either U'Maktish Bayezisha Now you want to go A Kohen Let's say he's a, he's a Kohen He's a priest he, who, who has access to these things And he wants to marry a woman With these things Nowadays it would work because we don't have a temple, we don't have sacrifices we don't, uh, of animals, we don't have any of these things, and therefore there's an element of real direct benefit to the coin. The time the basement was around, uh-uh, nothing to talk about. The Chazi Lakrava, even if it's fit for Hakrava, even if it's fit to be brought, Loi. The Kohen has no right to make use of it for his personal benefit. And Rav asks a challenging question on Rav Nachman. He says, So again, you see that something is considered the property of the person, even during the times of the Beis HaMikdash. It's considered yours. You can make use of it. And to the Gemara, Mashani Ravina, Ravina responded, The firstborn. Um, that retains holiness, but we're dealing with outside chutzlar, outside of Eretz Yisrael. I leave with Rav Shimon. It's going according to the, in accordance to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, the Yomar who says in Bo'u Tumimim Yigrabu, if you have animals that come that are tam and they don't have any blemish, so they, they should be brought in Eretz Yisrael. But you don't initially bring them, but if they're there, then uh, then it would be allowed. Ve'emisa. Now the Gemara is going to wrap this up. Misa, now if it would be true, basically says that Kachim Kalim is considered Mechayim while it's alive, it's considered the possession of the owner and not the possession of the Beis Hamikdash, top of tomorrow's daf. Lishni, we should have answered that but he doesn't give this answer. Answers the Gemara last step for today. I'll tell you why. You want to speak about gifts that are given to the Kohanim, gifts that are given to the uh, to the, uh, the, the to the uh, priest, the, the Kayan. Shiny minus Kahuna, the, the the gifts to the Kayan are different. Where do they get it from? They get it from Mishochan Gavaya. They're kind of like guests 
at Hashem's table. And uh, and therefore, when it basically says that Kachim Kalim is considered the possession of the one who sanctified it, he's referring to um, referring to something where you're not going to get the uh, the matanos. The kain is not going to be getting the 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 he's not going to get the gifts back. And therefore. The uh, Rebbeisi Agbili would be discussing a Bukhar. Hence, bottom line is that there is a. Uh, that's why we made a difference between Kachim Kalim, uh, Kachim Kachim, and Kachim Kalim. We made a difference between things that are, have a higher level of sanctity, things that have a lower level of sanctity. This last piece we're going to pick up from. We're going to pick up from Gufa, a piece of a previously quoted statement. We we'll go back to this Brisa and continue to unravel the. Uh, various layers that need to be taken into account when determining if something is kind of yours but not really yours when and how are you allowed to make use of it and again we got onto this because we were dealing with an evet also being like this in-between ground on one hand you have two distinct and very clear categories and then you're always going to have situations that come down the center and are like oh my goodness it doesn't really fit well into either one now i'm stuck this happens in all areas of our life. This happens to us daily. Moral dilemmas, ethical dilemmas, things that we need to deal with. We'll pick up from here tomorrow, Bez Hashem. We'll be back. Hopefully, I'll be there, um, be back uh, with everybody in person. And um, if so, we'll, we'll go back to right after Marv. Um, and um, let's, let's give a little bit of time. I think some people wanted to also still join on Zoom. We'll still aim for 5.30 p.m. Central. All right? But let's aim for this week uh, for 5.30 p.m. Central. Um, what's today? Today is Tuesday. Okay, so Wednesday, Thursday will be at 5.30. All right, have a wonderful evening, everybody.